Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Uh, mozzarella cheese for the first time the other night oh we're just gonna we're just gonna roll right past that i guess um yeah <laughs> how, did, how did that go how was that it was really good um uh you know it's really amazing like how much milk it actually takes to make mm. one ball of mozzarella yeah i mean they got those vats for a reason you know when they make yeah. it professionally yeah, no, it's like, but it's, you know, it's made me realize, you know, that the racket these these dairy farmers have. Big cheese, you know. Mm, right, big mm. cheese is cracking down on all of us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> t- t- <laughs> not to be confused with Biggie Cheese, but uh, <laughs> sensational pop star. It was it was very good. Uh, mm. It was a little, like, there, there's things I'm already planning on doing better next time, you know? Right, right. Like, like anything else. Sure. But I, I am I am proud that I have I have achieved this kind of this level of creation. This, you know, whenever you whenever you learn to make a new type of food that whose production is completely alien to you, you become like a god yourself. Right. I mean, you've mastered the four elements of pizza, essentially, which is the that four you- elements: crust, <laughs> sauce, yeah, cheese, cheese, and seasoning. What what what's the fourth element? Seasoning. Um. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. Uh, uh, crushing garlic. Yeah. Okay. Basil. Honestly, yeah. just growing basil, fresh basil, maybe. Uh, I mean, I'm working on that last part. We'll see. We got you started, so you're almost there. I <laughs> 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 gave you the Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, yes. So do you recognize this quote? I do. I, isn't that what Oppenheimer said, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, in 1965. So 20 years after, uh, you know, the bombs uh, being dropped on uh, Hiroshima. Wait, is it really that much further? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I always yeah, thought it was like right after because that's the what? fun narrative version. Well, not the fun <laughs> Jesus, not the fun narrative, but the sort of like the movie timeline of this. Right, right. I mean, as fun as as uh, nu- nuclear war. Can no, be. no, I, um, not fun. Not fun. No, not fun at all. Um, And, you know, too, I'd heard the audio clip, but I in preparation for this, I watched the video of it and mm. you really see like the 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 pain in his eyes as he's looking down you know the um the the what have i done what have i unleashed on the world yeah. um 
And, you know, it's 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 very interesting to see a uh, a man of science, the, the father of the atomic bomb, you know, like Oppenheimer, and to see him wrestling with this, trying to make sense of it. And then, of course, quoting uh, Hindu scripture. Hmm. And what one of the things I did discover is Oppenheimer pretty famously kept a copy, an English translation of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, you know, with him, you know, during, uh, you know, all of his his scientific exploits. It was just something he had with him. It was something he would have been familiar with. So that does track with this with this interview that it wasn't something that he had uh, you know, just suddenly stumbled upon. Uh, it had been weighing very heavily on him. And, um, you know, it, it's hard It's hard to think of heavier subject matter than being a part of a incredibly, a, a momentous achievement and disaster of humanity hmm. uh, to, to be... To be on this, the, uh, to be so uh, fixed in history to this fulcrum, at least what it feels like now. This this feels like in in our modern conception of history, this feels like the fulcrum on which so many things bend. Uh, you know, the the introduction of the atomic bomb. Uh, that you know that that a, a man of science like this is also, you know, dipping into spirituality in a time where we think of spirituality on the wane, uh, mm. you know, particularly in the West. And also, you know, it in, interesting coming from Oppenheimer, a, you know, a German-born secular scientist, you know, the scientist right. coming from a family of, you know, secular Ashkenazi Jews uh and to uh to to hear this this odd intersection of eastern and western philosophy and especially in a moment like this where you're you know there there's so many different factors that go into world war 2 and the pacific theater of world war 2 but it and and even though the the the, the bhagavad gita coming from uh india Mm-hmm. you know, not Japan, it still has this feeling of um, the world is on some sort of uneven uh, footing, you know, on our our potential as annihilators of the world and still some, some sort of lack of understanding uh, of our own humanity. Uh, and what I wanted to sort of have this uh, uh, to to use this for was to jump into our topic today, which is uh, scientist the, the the tentative relationship that science has kind of historically had with esoteric knowledge and uh, and religion, mm. uh, which I feel like is a pretty good pretty good topic for our interests just based on things yeah. we've talked about before uh so, yeah. you know ju- just how many you know scientists either came out of the clergy or how much of our thought and and philosophy has has come out of people that originally were coming out of uh, religious circles 
uh, that bled into uh, our our secular world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, but you had you had heard the quote, I assume, in the in the trailer for the uh, the Godzilla uh, <laughs> for the go- the more recent Godzilla movie. Oh man, is that probably <laughs> that? It, was it in there? I don't even remember that being. It was in the trailer for the uh, the American Godzilla that wasn't. Uh, That's a lot of fish. The Brian Cranston. Uh, one. Oh, the first one. That's right. Yes. Oh, you're right. Okay, right. Where Walter White is playing the uh, the mm-hmm. figure in that. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's from that. I I've heard it. I feel like it's quoted on like everything. Like yeah. it's, it's it's one of those like you see like a Blade Runner image and then all right. of a sudden like that that quote is there. So it's yeah. Because well, it's like, I, really I, powerful. I, I, you know. It is. It is. But I think it's also understanding that it was after the Trinity test, not after um, mm. uh, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, oh, you mm. know, uh, it's you know they're in New Mexico when. Yeah. Uh, when 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 this is happening, it's it's before Truman authorizes uh, the bombings in Japan. Um. So, hmm. but uh, I think to to from our modern standpoint, I think a lot of it 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 sort of seems like like the way that we want to think about these things is that the world was sort of. You know, there were not the people were completely ignorant of the world, but that, you know, there was there's this perception of the past that there was this uh, religiosity in the world. And then suddenly there was this uh, separate, smaller entity of science that slowly, uh, you know, grew and competed with it and then eventually overtook it. Mm-hmm. Um at least in the Western world, like that's that's how, you know, we want to frame our history. And really, I think that 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 doesn't really quite explain where our ideas of science come from and how they sort of uh, how how it interplays with what our ideas of religion are, what our ideas of, of uh, human relationship to the universe uh what what those different uh ideas might be so uh you you want to come in here this is oh, oh everybody squeeze in uh, uh it's really uh, tight this no. is a this is a very small uh you're all vaccinated right yeah yeah everybody squeeze into this this very small room oh god this is doing numbers on my claustrophobia right now oh yeah yeah don't worry we won't be here for too long okay um well in this room uh we have the emerald tablet Ooh. Uh now the emerald tablet uh is an ancient text it's uh it, and it's it's considered sort of the founding document of hermetic teachings uh or really alchemy mm. um and it you know claims to be very old or at least the authorship of it uh, really, it might be more like, you know, made between year 200 and 800, which is pretty old. Um, okay. But this would make it, you know, early medieval, you know? Right. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Rather than, uh, the, 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 the provenance that, uh, the practitioners claim. Um, so hermeticism, have you heard that phrase before? 
I have heard about it, but I don't know too much about it. Yeah, hermetic orders and stuff. You've yeah, probably uh, heard... yeah, like hermetic order of the Golden Dawn or whatever. That yeah, the like Aleister Crowley stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, yeah. Basically, hermetic teaching is this idea of uh, ancient hidden knowledge. It's very gnostic in its ideas, where this is like special privileged information for those who are willing to study and those who are willing to look deeper. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's attributed to be the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus. Now the, the name itself, um, might tell us a little bit more of what's going on here. It goes off of this ancient assumption. Um, uh, this goes back to the Hellenistic era, you know, where, uh, the, the, the Greeks and Romans are encountering other cultures that are also polytheistic. And they believe that Thoth and Hermes are actually the same god. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So these, okay. you know, these these learned uh, gods that have many uh, forms and duties, uh, and crucially, both shepherd souls through the afterlife. Um, and a lot of the Hermetic ideas really do go back to ancient Egypt. Uh, they have a lot to do with the idea of the human soul in relationship to the universe. And because uh, the, the Greeks and Romans, you know, had Tartarus. Right. But if we think about that compared to the cosmology of the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians kind of almost have a slightly more relatable, at least, you know, in our in our Abrahamic dominated world a an afterlife that somewhat makes a little bit more sense to us that yeah. you know your your soul is weighed against the truth of the universe you know and you could either have amat eat your soul right uh or be sent along to the 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 land of reeds the sea of reeds yeah, or whatever yeah, land of reeds. yeah. yeah. so um the, this this conflation of these two gods uh, g goes. You can see it has some roots in real ancient Egyptian teachings. Um, but uh, what 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 alchemists would sort of say was that this was the foundational text of trying to understand, looking through ancient esoteric writings, prioritizing what ancient what the ancient uh, Ptolemic writers had written. Because, you know, Hermes uh, Trismegistus, Trismegistus, oh gosh, that just never sounds right when no, you say it. No, it's okay, yeah. Does it sound like I'm, I'm sneezing while I'm trying to say it? A um, little. So, like, if you really, really are into the lore, he, like, has relation ha, has some relation to alexander the great um oh wow there are you know supposed to be these legendary figures that even figure into um uh uh like uh uh a, a relationship to abraham of ancient judea oh uh yeah that the, there's there's immediately this hodgepodge of cultures uh hermetic teachings introduced this idea in in and and remains within the throughout the middle ages that you can kind of mesh together all of these disparate cultures and sort of look for this 
this bigger truth that you're trying mm. to understand, if, if that makes sense. So immediately you, you have this gumbo uh, of, of these different cultures uh, that, that will appeal to uh, the uh, Arabic, uh, Christian, and Kabbalistic worlds going forward. Um, so what, what's, what's interesting ab- ab- about this is this, uh, immediately this association with Hermes. Um, so what is another name for Hermes? Mercury? Yes. And uh. if you have gone on a date with a girl that likes astrology, you know, Mercury, <laughs> very important to astrology. Right. Mercury's in Gatorade or whatever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mercury. No, it's hey, it was it was Flavorade at Jonestown. Uh, oh, right. Don't drink the. Yeah, that's right. The flavor. Yeah. Not the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. God. So uh, but but hermetic teachings uh, build on a lot of ancient astrology and astrology would remain important to uh, alchemists throughout the Middle Ages and really would lead to our more modern ideas of astronomy, you know, mm. and, and, and sometimes it's hard to keep them straight too. you know, astrology versus astronomy. Right. Like when I try, you know, you're trying to take an astron an, an astrology class in college and you end up in astronomy and you're like, well, what's this all about? I, I want to learn about being a Libra. <laughs> that did not happen to me, but I do know people who that has happened to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like me in Latin class, you know, wondering when we start talking about dinosaur names, only to be told that dinosaur names are not in fact in Latin. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, yeah. I guess I'm just in for the ride now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've all been misled by course descriptions. This is true, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Mercury or Quicksilver, uh, these are, you know, not only curiosities that people are encountering, they are presumed very important to, you know, understanding the world. Mercury being used in scientific instruments, you know, Mercury being used to study gravity, being used to study temperature in the case of thermometers, it's all considered very important uh, scientific material. Uh, so there is immediately that connection of the the elements. Uh, you know, it, if you go back into ancient Greek philosophy, the idea that you know there being the four elements, and then you know as time goes on, there there being a, a sort of different idea of what exactly elements are once you know atomic theory is developed. But that won't happen for a while. Um, right. So the. F- Hermetic teachings uh, were translated into a variety of different languages, but were not translated into English until uh, a plucky young lad named Isaac Newton comes along. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. Now, yeah, now we can think of Isaac Newton as uh, someone who ushered in, you know, this, this, this total mechanical vision of the universe that there's not necessarily a place for an anthropomorphic god anymore. And yet, what is he doing with this weird text on, you know, ancient religions, this ancient hodgepodge of religions? And it should show that this was a well-circulated text among the sort of academic elites. Uh, If you think about you know, Aleister Crowley and Madame Blavatsky later Mm. on, 
in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Remember, they're coming from wealthy families. This is all this is all a part of sort of the required reading of these these nerdy rich kids. Um, Yeah, yeah, this this is the stuff that they they were reading for centuries and was getting passed around. Um, Now, what as far as what these texts do, what they sort of allow for uh, the the academics that are not just, you know, going along with you know, a literal, uh, dogma of, of their religion, you know, be that, um, uh, Christian as the, uh, as the middle ages wear on or, um, or Islam as the Ottoman empire takes off this sort of allows this other view of the world. And one of the very famous phrases that comes from it is as above, so below. Oh, I didn't know that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, and you could imagine this has, uh, this this has things that are relatable to Abrahamic religion, you know, uh, sure. that that there are there are phrases that they would have identified with within their own theology. Um, right. But but it, it 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 lets out it lets into the thinking this idea of a microcosm that if you can study something in the small world it can reverberate out into the bigger world and therefore if something happens in the larger universe it can have an effect on you in the smaller framework of Mm. things as there becomes more and more consensus that there is that the lights that you see in the sky are um not just you know little the curiosities but are actually other celestial bodies that you know planets start to get recognized this really feeds into uh alchemy and astrology where there's like this i there's almost this idea that god is out there somewhere yeah, we affecting find him. the world uh, or trying to affect you but the as the astrological uh events that are happening are in almost interfering with the signal path from uh from god so it's this very very odd Hmm. view of the universe that i don't think i had ever heard before within a christian context that you know that like the that the planet jupiter is like a cloud blocking you know your satellite dish right it's it's interrupting the feed you know where they're trying to beam down all this knowledge Exactly. And lo and behold, that's how we got Christian musicals, actually, when it all caught up. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> that's the, where they come the, from. No, the the God, uh, God's Wi-Fi signal. You know? <laughs> yeah, they finally got it hooked up. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it is interesting because the way it was always explained to me, especially with like Newton and all of these other scientists coming out later, was that they were like it was that period of. You believe in God, but you use science to prove God exists. And it opens this door. This this is not necessarily yeah. fact. This is just the way it was like yeah. explained to us in school when you would ask that question of, okay, well, you're doing, you know, you're learning about this, like, you know, you essentially have the person starting physics with Newton, right? You're going into right. these topics that are essentially the proof a lot of people use against religion in many cases yet right. he's also still religious so how does that work and that was how it yeah. was always explained where you can have this uh-huh. sort of dualist mindset where you can be religious and 
having faith while also working mm-hmm. towards the scientific goal and allowing both of those to interact right. with one another without necessarily needing that. Um, it has to be this. It cannot be yes. that, you know? But I, And I think that that's... This is very interesting hearing about that sort of middle ground, and it makes a lot. It brings a lot more light to that sort of yeah. easy pass well, way of explaining it. Because you know? all we think of with alchemy usually is we think of trying to turn base metals into gold. Like that is the way that mm. it's it's sort of shown to us. Whereas right, right, right. Alchemy. I mean, really, because of alchemy is the reason we have so much modern science. Uh, you know, it, it really huh. did lay the foundation for the people studying those things. That's how they discovered the elements, you know. Um, it's so cool, though. Yeah. Like, you can't call yourself an alchemist anymore, but it would be. No, you can, it's, you know, well, it's, it's, which, it's just, well uh, you, you can, but you have to move to Arizona, you know. Right, but that, is, that takes on a whole nother meaning. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, then unless I guess you're a fan of Full Metal Alchemist and you're trying to bring your mom back and then you yeah. end up having, a, you know, your arm removed and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, that's a whole different thing, too. That, yeah. We don't talk about that see, alchemy see, enough. The, you know, we don't. We really don't talk about the dangers of alchemy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like, the issue is, like, so much of this stuff is so interesting, but it's very difficult to even research it without getting some very you know, getting into new age spiritualism and stuff. You know, it's not that you're not, when you start Googling Emerald tablet, you are a couple clicks away from, you know, ancient aliens built the pyramids. Um, And the Emerald (laughs) tablets are because of their sort of shaky historical provenance um, are cited by a lot of ancient aliens people. It's, it is, it is a fraught thing to try and find straight information on it. And, you know, part of that's deliberate, you know, these were secret societies and stuff, and we only catch glimpses of them. But, um, as you can see, there's, there's this groundwork of, there is something larger at play in the universe that chemistry and physics are suggesting uh, other forces at work than the things that are just intuitively obvious to us. And it's becoming, you know, sort of increasingly obvious that, and this will come up in a moment again, Mm -hmm. that human intuition is not necessarily the best thing for um, uh, determining how things work. Take heliocentrism, um, you know, the the model of the, the, the sun at the center of the solar system. Um, and the, the, it's been remarked, I, I forget, uh, which scientist, but it's a great story that, uh, he's sitting there and, um, uh, it's, uh, he says, you know, why did they assume that the, uh, that the sun revolves around the earth? And another scientist says, uh, well, you know, from the way it looks, that's, that's how it looks. That is how it's apparent. And then he thinks and then says, but how would it look if the sun did revolve around the earth? How, like, how would that look different? And you can immediately sort of see the, the trappings of, of just relying on human intuition to, to understand what is going on. Um, right. Yeah, like, like the, it wouldn't. Like, in the way that we envision things, it wouldn't really look different if the sun revolved around us. But okay, let's let's take Galileo, you know, and and yeah. Galileo is is someone that we think of as, you know, really, you know, pu- putting putting his life on the line for for the name of the science. And even going back to what you just said about how it's taught in school, I don't think that that take is entirely wrong 
because I, I, I did mm-hmm. a little bit of reading on what exactly, you know, Galileo was proposing, and it's actually extremely weird. Like, it, I, I think Galileo's vision is almost weirder. Um, hmm. for, for what uh, he was proposing. Because also Galileo was incorrect about a lot of things. Galileo was trying say. to <laughs> make things <laughs> fit his vision. Because really, like, what Galileo was executed for was, you know, really ignoring a lot of physics that were understood at the time. You know, this is the Renaissance. There is an understanding of physics. And heliocentrism wasn't punishable by death. The Catholic Church allowed people to talk about it. They allowed people to research it. But Galileo was insisting that the planets orbited the sun in uh, concentric circles, which, as it turns out, is incorrect. And Galileo Mm. had no science or physics to demonstrate how the planets were orbiting in perfect circles. And you know what? He was wrong. I don't think he deserved to be executed for it. Um, yeah, but... maybe that's a little harsh. <laughs> prison, prison, or just criticism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Goes just a long just, way. Oh, okay. You want to you want to imprison people that are slightly it's wrong about the times? I'm tr- we're talking execution. Okay, what's what's a step down from that in that time period? Wow, Adv- advocate on. for the prison industrial complex, Joe Semino. Oh my God, no! Do not label me oh incarcerate incarcerating scientists. Um. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Zed. If you're pushing <laughs> the wrong narratives, mate. Well, see, I'm going to trap myself now. But I don't know. There's some people. Sam- in Samuel George. Some Samuel George Martin could have been imprisoned for a little bit. You know, just is, to get him to the the guy Sorry. collecting all the human skulls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, starting to make sense. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know what? Because like maybe I'm onto you, something. You, you, when when you say the skulls aren't from a bunch of Polynesians, you get a lot more worried about someone with a bunch of skulls in their basement. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's def- there's like I'm saying there's some questionable people sometimes. But uh, what are you talking yeah. about? I am a scientist. All that's all you got to say, and you're excused, I guess. <laughs> but no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, how. let me let me measure your eye sockets. Uh, ah, from, yes, from yes, what? yes. Ah, yes, the, 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 the Sardinian cranium. Yes, what? yes. Uh... Um, so next, let's move on to the next room, to Galileo's vision of the universe. Now, the sun is at the center. The planets are orbiting the sun. That is correct. But it's still limited because Galileo uh, was only expanding the view slightly he was almost foregoing the the possibility of there being a discovery beyond this he sort of <laughs> saw the night sky as almost this sphere that the universe was trapped inside of with stars on the inside oh, like um man it's like the reverse of flat earth yeah like or hollow earth or whatever it kind, it kind of it it uh it's more like it's more like if the world actually was just if the if the the solar system was just uh, floating in the middle of an IMAX planetarium, you know, how do you know it's not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, James Webb uh, 
Hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know. We're, this is the problem with science. We're relying on a lot of things that other people have said. But, you know, ultimately that is... I that, think that we is. can assume it's not in a giant IMAX theater. I think we're, you know... I think we don't even on. need to assume that. <laughs> well, can't rule it out. I don't know. Can't rule it out. But wouldn't it be a weird time if I were to, like, announce that I was a flat earther? I feel like that would be a very weird, like... uh I guess wrench in the system. Like if I was just to propose to you, actually, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I had a, I had a roommate in my uh, freshman year of college, uh, Levi. We got along very well, and then at one point, you know, he told me, uh, like, you know, before I met you, I'd never heard that the Earth was older than six thousand years old. So imagine being my roommate, where oh. all I'm talking about is dinosaurs <laughs> and paleontology. <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be... That was definitely a revelation, quite literally, I imagine. Or that yeah. they think you're just lying. So Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, you know... No, he seems... He's you know. from South Dakota. He's yeah, yeah well... And, and no, he shout, shout out to Levi. Great, great shout roommate. Shout out Levi. Uh, you know, uh, Sneaky Peach and the Asbestos Shakers forever. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah, that, was, that, that was our dorm jam band. That's a good name. That's Thanks. a very good name. Yeah, best but, band name I've ever had. Nice. Um, so but yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a flat earther, by the way. Okay, just to, th- just to thank, confirm that you, right now, absolutely for, not. Thank you for clarifying. I actually, you don't actually think it's. A, I actually think it's a, It's actually a donut. Actually, that's the more. No, no, no I'm just kidding. Too, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. we all love Knives Out, Joe. Mm. Knives Out, it's a great film, truly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so you can see that there's there's this this limiting thing, like yeah. almost like Galileo doesn't want to bother with it, like. And on one sense, it kind of makes sense. Like, okay, there's this celestial field that we mm. are inside, that's and like that's movie. the stars. Yeah, but the, the there's almost like a a lack of imagination to go further to say, like, oh, what if our our sun is just one of these stars, right. and that's what we're seeing? But Galileo doesn't really make that connection, and it won't be until later astronomy and better telescopes that people start to realize, oh, oh, hang no, on no, no. here, that the universe is is enormous. And then, you know, we start talking about, you know, trying to compare the number of stars to the numbers of grains of sand on Earth. And it's it's dizzying to we're we're. Our minds are not really even evolved to be capable of fully understanding how big the universe is, you know? Yeah. Um, I was listening to a lecture uh, by David Wallace uh, hmm. at the uh, uh, University of Oxford, you know, sort of give a give a talk on some of this stuff. And, you know, he sort of brings up, I think, validly that, you know, our, we evolved to live on the savannas of Africa and here we are trying to use our brains to understand the universe. Uh, you know, it's 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 yeah. really it's really weird to, to to think about in those terms. To get back to the the story a little bit, and you know how we end up with Oppenheimer. Um, you know, you go forward in history. The Hermetic teachings continue uh, kind of on the periphery throughout the Middle Ages. Uh, a lot of fame, if you looked through the list of people associated with it, you'd probably recognize some names of different philosophers and early scientists. This stuff, you know, was was in the was in the ether as people were were trying to understand the world. But it left that door open 
um, that the human mind could have some relationship uh, to the universe. Uh, and I think that is the way in which they justified their religion through it. Um, mm, okay. And I think this would be further sort of justified once you get into the 1800s and there's an increasing interest, particularly among, you know, learned people and academics uh, of uh, Eastern religions and philosophies. Uh, you know, as uh, Japan is uh, opened up to the West, you know, there's a huge influx of uh, their art and culture, you know, the people in Europe and the United States are trying to make furniture that approximates uh, you know, high-end Japanese and Chinese uh, furniture and artifacts. You know, it, it's it's a whole, you know, thing. It has a... Oh, yeah. Th there's there's an enormous cultural exchange that happens. Um, but uh, Eastern philosophy starts to work its way in as well. Um, yoga is introduced uh, to the West. Mm. Um, you know, sort of as a... As as just sort of an interesting curiosity, but it starts to uh, gain a following throughout the uh, the mid eighteen hundreds. Uh, sort of the, uh, the 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 person credited with uh, introducing uh, yoga is Swami Vivekananda uh, in eighteen ninety three uh, in Chicago. Uh, oh. so so you know this is this is like happening around like World's Fair time. Hmm, and. The, I, I believe we even touched on it when we were talking about the World's Fair, you know, uh, on a on an exhibition a long time ago um, and that, you know, the, this this was sort of debuted in the West by the late 1800s. And, you know, by the 1910s, 20s and 30s, uh, with an influx of uh, Indian immigrants, uh, they sort of were were able to to further uh, introduce yoga first as kind of an exercise, but also people were very interested uh, in the philosophy. Now, you also have to think about what's happening in the 1920s in the world of science. You know, the world right. is is opening up to, you know, is becoming gradually more secular in the West. Uh, there is, you know, this is again, this is post Nietzsche, post Freud, post Marx. There is an idea of the mind is really the next frontier of of understanding humanity, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, because even now, like Freud is really what viewed more as a as a good philosopher rather than a good psychologist. Yeah, um, not sure, not that yeah. he was wrong about everything, but he was wrong about a lot. Uh, but but you yeah. know, I think is he's still part of that old guard of these scientists that really fancied themselves philosophers as well. And there's some truth to that, um, that, that the natural philosopher, uh, the, the person that studied something very intensely, no matter what it was, had something else profound to say about the world, that there was some larger thing to say based on your relatively niche area of study. And again, you can see those echoes of hermetic and Gnostic teachings that I have this grander vision for everything because I study something so intensely. Mm. Um, you can trace a line to all of these guys uh, from, from those types of uh, alchemic uh, uh, societies. Um, and, but in 
mathematics and physics in the 1920s, what do we have? We have quantum theory, relativity, uh, you know, Einstein gets his Nobel Prize. Uh, the, 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 the sort of, uh, the, the, the academics are dabbling in this new realm of physics, really at significantly changing the view of physics that had been relatively untouched since, you know, Isaac Newton. And, you know, to, to look at this stuff, to, to look at theories, to look at, it's like something like quantum theory, which I don't really understand. And I do not want to be one of those people that is an art guy out of his depth trying yeah. to, you know, approximate something you half remember, you know, like th- th- there's, th- there's so many people that claim that they're very interested in quantum mechanics and quantum physics. And I'm sure it is just nails on a chalkboard to anyone that actually knows about this stuff. So bear with me. And if you do know more about this, please feel free to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause like when I hear someone talk about something that I have a slightly more knowledge about, I am irritated at the, the, the things that they get very wrong when they speak very confidently about it. So I will try yeah. not to come off as overly confident. Like just speak all the, yeah, no confidence then. Yeah, <laughs> no, no confidence. But like, even like listening to them talk about this stuff now about how they're going to clone the thylacine. Uh, and I'm listening to people talk about the thylacine and what it was. And I just want to, I, I just roll my eyes so hard. It's like, I don't know what to think about this anymore because you got so much other information wrong. Right. Remind you know, me, to, I, yeah, yeah. Like, remind me to get your take about the mammoth cloning. I had a whole conversation about that recently. <laughs> it was driving me crazy. Yeah, we might just have to have a whole tour about mammoths. I would love to talk about mammoths. Oh, I would love that. That actually sounds great. Yeah. Um, but yes, if uh, so, in, in this universe that we're talking about, so do you <laughs> do you have any understanding at all of quantum mechanics? Not really. I'm gonna okay, be honest. Great. I can't great. even. I, do I don't I. even want to try to like pretend. Like okay, all but, those but you've like, heard yeah, of like I've heard... you've heard of like Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. The idea of is it there? Is it not? Like I, I think I know it in the concepts when it's like if you explain it like Schrodinger's cat, I understand. But if you were to be like, what do you know about quantum mechanics? I'm saying, well, the name was in a movie, I believe, Quantum Leap. <laughs> if I'm not mis- <laughs> No, right. not- but exactly. that's the thing. Like, it's just a lot, of, it's a lot of information all at once. And yeah. I think the philosophy of it is very fascinating, but in actual yeah. physics, I am lost. Right. The, the, the simple thing is, in, in imagining an experiment where you are shooting photons of light uh, at uh, two different surfaces, uh from a laser um again the the one of the things that uh in the lecture i was listening to uh from by by uh wallace was that quantum theory has really been upheld by everything that we found and it is really this beautiful theory that sort of explains everything we're seeing um and we we have to remember when we're talking about science we want to think about theories as almost like almost like philosophies in the sense that they're this net that you can view the world through and things make sense, you know? Right. Scientific theories, you know, have a particular robustness as opposed to like a philosophical theory because they've always been proven right, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And 
philosophy has its its place, but you, you you have to look at the 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 way I think philosophy has uh has has had its struggles in the last century is that sociology has pushed it out of you know sociology psychology all of these other things have pushed philosophy out of trying to explain uh what what the best way to live is you know right um and philosophy has kind of had to go on pretty much philosophy like exists almost entirely just for 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 ontology now just for us trying to name things and explain things uh in almost almost like in in a in terms of language mm-hmm. uh and also i i i'm sure there's some philosopher that's screaming at me right now that knows more about this but i write into us and explain to me i i would like to know more um but you know obviously still has its place but what what uh, quantum mechanics is is sort of saying is as you're shooting at this surface, you would expect if you were shooting even down to if you were shooting this laser beam at these two surfaces, that it would be 50 50 divided, like, you know, spraying a hose at something and there's something dividing the stream of the hose. Right. Right. Um, but that it is, in fact, not what happens. And even if you get it down to shooting only one photon of light at a time, it still does not. Uh, it seems to change with your observation. And this oh, would suggest. OK, yes. So this is this is where Schrodinger's cat comes in, where the, the cat is both simultaneously and alive at the same time in the box, you know, because if the photon hits one part of the surface it will release the cyanide in the box and kill the cat this is schrodinger's cat we all know of it because of big bang theory you know um (laughs) the tv show yeah Uh, not to be confused uh, with the real big bang theory no yeah yeah what's what's so sort of tantalizing about this from a philosophical esoteric point of view is that it almost seems to then dip back in to this idea that consciousness itself is a component of the universe and consciousness can have an effect on the universe. And suddenly we're right back to hermetic thought. We're right back to as above, so below. And because particularly Hinduism and Buddhism, but a lot of, uh, Asian religions uh, that were getting introduced uh, to the mainstream in the 1920s, this was so tantalizing uh, to those scientists, Oppenheimer included. And mm. they they really were into this stuff because this philosophy of, you know, b- being being one with the universe and all this, all this yoga stuff that, you know, we, we roll our eyes at new age people saying this, but there is something to it. There is something kind of amazing about, um, rather than, you know, the, the, the sun revolves around us. It's like, we are everything, everything and Mm. everything is us. Right. Uh, It's, it's this, you know, you get, you get in, you listened, listening to that talk, it suddenly sounded like if this guy wasn't talking about like actual math, because he was citing the math and citing the scientists that would support this. 
you know, during yeah. the talk. And actually, it was very funny. There's at one point he had a typo and a physicist in the audience corrected him. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was it's so it. Yeah. They're all laughing at very niche physics jokes. I love it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but so if you took some of the things he said out of context, you think you were listening to Teal Swan like, oh, wow. Oh, God. Like, like, obviously not, you know, telling people to kill themselves. Uh, but right. but more in the more in the sense that we know all of these things. There are all these things that we can know, but we have to uh, we there's there's almost no way to fully comprehend all of it uh, altogether. He uses the example of a tiger, uh, you know, um, that you could theoretically you could explain the behavior of a tiger with quantum mechanics but the issue is it would take so much study of all of the atoms to make up a tiger that we just kind of ignore all of that and mm. focus on biology and chemistry to understand a tiger when really biology and chemistry are just an expression of physics uh but oh, we no. we almost it's don't want to do all of the work to understand all the physics but there's this idea that if we could understand the physics fully which seems to be incomprehensible we could explain everything and this is ultimately this the is a paradox the, yeah the, the, the what he calls the scandal of quantum theory that it has worked for everything quantum theory has been supported as as a framework by which to predict experiments just like like good science is Good scientific theories are ways to predict how experiments will turn right. out. And hmm. yet the this 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 the behavior of these photons cannot really account for all of it. And it and it would suggest things simultaneously existing. And it would also this is where we get our idea of the multiverse. Uh. From. Like this is what people are actually talking about in this idea that there's with with every uh every movement of these particles uh there is a new universe uh that that sort of forms based on that probability it's so i i cannot entirely wrap my head around it but i i did find that talk if if people do want to look it up uh easier I have a slightly better understanding of what exactly it is, but there is a lot of math that I do not understand, and I'm sure there is more to it than that. Um, but to 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 bring us back to the beginning, um, it, you know, if we walk in here now, we we see the the observable universe in this final mm. room, the infinite or seemingly infinite, uh, vast world that we actually are in that is beyond our comprehension is beyond our our solid understanding and yet all we have are our minds it, it is the only tool and so they're, they're you know our thoughts are are a part of this somehow because we are in the universe um, and so when, when you get into things like that, you can understand someone like Jack Parsons. Uh, now, Jack Parsons is considered one of the uh, and, and I, I bring up Jack Parsons because he is a very interesting character 
uh, in general. And I, I would recommend people looking into his story. But I want to bring him up because he is one of these guys that feels like a modern, like a modern day medieval scientist, even though, you know, he was he he, he was he was, you know, lived 1914 to 1952. He does feel like one of these guys that was incredibly brilliant, legitimately a genius mm-hmm. and yet was also deeply into weird uh, hermetic stuff. Oh. So Jack Parsons was one of the founders of JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He oh. was one of the first people to work on rocket engines uh, and really understood that rockets were the way of the future. But you know the other thing he was? A thelemite occultist. What? <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, you know, he grew up in Pasadena. He was super, super into science fiction as a kid. Um, he, uh, you know, and and so, it, it, like, he would get his own, like, he would have his own rocket experiments and stuff. Hmm. Um, and he, uh, what, what sort of happened as time went on, you know, he, he gets, uh, accepted to, uh, to college, um, at uh, Stanford, uh, but, you know, can't afford it. Then he gets to, goes to Pasadena junior college, but still can't afford it. This is after the depression and uh, right. his family lost all their money. Oh. Um, because he he originally came from wealth. Again, this is another, you know, wealthy kid that's bookish. Mhm. Uh so basically he sort of starts his own like uh, with with just like his friends that just like blowing stuff up and eventually get brought on with a military contract to research the the future of rockets. And they're wow. doing this in the 30s. The 30s huh. and 40s. Um, you know, in until 1945 too, right up until then, where they see that rockets are the future, space travel is a reality. Um, and you know, like Goddard's vision is uh where where he is going with this. Um, you know, he is uh uh basically in the same religious movement that Aleister Crowley is leading. He gets involved in it, mm-hmm. uh, him and his wife. Uh, you know, they get into basically it, it's a sex cult. Um, uh, Parsons uh, ends up with uh, Helen's uh, younger half sister, Betty, uh, who is 17 at the time that they get involved. Oh. Now, uh, Betty is may have a little bit more of a place in history than you may realize, because Jack Parsons, because he's hanging out with all of these occult weirdos in California and science fiction writers in California in the 40s. Oh, no. Who should he be friends with? Well, acquaintances at first, uh, but LRH himself, L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, my God. There's always a connection. And if you recognize the name Betty, yeah, L. Ron Hubbard would basically steal away Betty from uh, Jack Parsons uh, and and would be his wife. Uh, and when they, you know, go down that whole fiasco, stealing those yachts, uh, like this is Jack Parsons is, is tangentially connected to Scientology. And this is a man, this is a man who, who is, is a part of the history of, of real science in America, really significant stuff. 
Um, oh, you know, he, he does get investigated, you know, by like the un-American uh, the activities committee, you know, um, it, you know, and he is kind of able to for a while skirt it. But, you know, he's also like methed up, too, because oh. all these guys are like on meth and coke and peyote. Uh, right. Th- so oh, you geez. it really paints a different picture of these rocket scientists almost 100 years ago. They are obsessive and have one foot in cutting edge science that was the future and also another in these ancient schools of uh, of uh, of alchemical thought. Right. Not what I expected. Especially yeah. not the Scientology connection, but that is crazy. I mean, because it is, I don't know, it gets interesting, though, you know, like to think how we can, how these how these dualistic ideas sort of come into form together. But I think, like, in the case of Jack Parsons, this is where they're both very wildly different from one another, and it's kind of weird to expect them be to be interacting, right? Yeah. But yeah. then, in the case of like where we were previously talking about the universe, every everything being the universe, right? I think that's yeah. where it becomes much more relatable, you know? Yeah. Because well, I think yeah, that- Ima- imagine Joe, you go to one mm-hmm. of these, uh, you get invited to what you think will be a science fiction club in Southern California. Right. Everybody's wearing so robes. Starts- you know, this one chick takes off all her clothes and says, uh, it's time to make the moon child, uh, which is also another thing that Jack Parsons tried to do, you know, make the moon and child? also, yes, uh, him and L. Ron Hubbard were trying to uh, impregnate uh, this uh, redheaded girl that showed up on his doorstep one day uh, with the moon child, who would be sort of an antichrist, sort of a... Uh, a a world shifting figure, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. human born without a a a man's soul. Um. Okay. And then, by the way, ugh, I gotta get to work in the morning and work on those rockets. Right. This is insane. <laughs> this is actually crazy that that's happening oh, yeah. as the side plot of his like narrative. Yeah. Oh, just God. like, just don't don't ask Jack what he has going on at home. You know, he's he's gone through a rough time. His wife, Helen, left with the Thelemic uh, priest. That was another thing that happened. Oh, my um, God. He, yeah, he, you know, he had sort of a sad life at the end, too. But, oh. you know, it's a uh, it's a it is a bizarre, messy world with these guys. And, you know, Oppenheimer's maybe the more buttoned down, sobering figure in all of this, because, right. again, him and Einstein, I think, had had uh they were more of the people that uh that that had some understanding that uh that there there were these these world shifting things that they had done and it was unclear what exactly the outcomes would be um mm-hmm. you know and they you know a lot of these guys you know had uh connections to leftist uh political stuff and were uh, also investigated at different points in their lives um so their 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 politics are certainly complicated uh but <laughs> right but but jack jack parsons being sort of maybe a little bit more of an extreme example just for his his proximity to crowley and l ron hubbard but 
he's a part of this group. All of these guys are, you know, doing long equations on chalkboards about, you know, protons and photons and and croutons. What which I croutons? Knew you were gonna say. <laughs> that's, that's the only kind I understand. That's literally you just read my line for me because that's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> Uh, and, and Bruton from Dinosaur, uh, mm. yes, uh, but, you know, they, they're all these guys in dusty, uh, tweed blazers, uh, you know, scribbling on chalkboards, and then they've got, uh, you know, just weird religious texts, uh, stuffed into their desk drawers as well. I mean... Sometimes maybe it's a I don't know that is such a, it's a, it's a very you don't I guess we don't really think about it that way right you know yeah. that, that it's not like you don't expect those two things to be in the same room you especially don't yeah. think those those two things to be in the same room when you have very anti-religious people talking about science in mm-hmm. one certain light or yeah. very religious people who then abandon science like I think it's a very right I think in a way it's interesting seeing how one can incorporate multiple different philosophies and aspects of being human into a scientific lens. Yeah. And then I also think it can get a little complicated. However, like, is in the case of, um, in the case of Jack Parsons, I think it's like, I don't know how much LRH and the weird occult stuff is going to affect building a rocket. I think that's a pretty straightforward thing. I do imagine his vision of what would happen after was heavily influenced by that, you know? Mm. Like if you're like if you if you're believing into a lot of the this this you know, the the occultist things, the the ideas here, you might want to use that rocket to then get to outer space so you can go visit the aliens and then, you know, whatever other narrative comes after that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily disrupt the idea of building that rocket. So you could argue that, well, okay, right. they're not really that interfering. But, but yeah, but I mean, Jack Parsons is someone that thought like that all of these, all of this stuff could somehow figure into like the Martians he was reading in, reading about yeah. when he was a kid. Um, yeah. It's always you know, like he, that. It always I, I happens this way. I don't I just... know if he was into like ancient aliens and stuff. Well, that would have been, it would have been that. Cause yeah. like, cause, cause yeah, but but, the, but the, this is um you know this is uh uh this this will lead to all the UFO cults because if you think about it, Scientology yeah, well, is a UFO cult. Heaven's Gate was a UFO, a UFO cult. Yeah, this is true. Um, so they're all. But again, yeah. like go, going back to listening to um the 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 talk at Oxford, like you you almost have to abandon some idea of trying to be completely rational. When you're listening to someone talk about the philosophy of physics, what the implications of it are. And, you know, the uh, one thing I've been trying to do is entertain like a, a, a slav of Zizek, uh, <laughs> you know, like mentality that all you have is your philosophy and that is who you are. And to enjoy it, to enjoy your outlook on the world, because if you try to see things, if if you try to seek only pure truth, there is nothing. Um, Postmodern, but 
Very, yeah. yeah. And and it's and it's an interesting idea I too. I, I don't know if I agree though, honestly. Yeah. Because I think that can be like what if your but what if your one philosophy is like QAnon? Or it's That's like the, see, Do you know this, what I'm saying? This is, like, this is the issue. This is the issue. Like, you know, and also like it gets incredibly frustrating too, because you're yeah. listening to to people uh like uh wanting to uh over 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 uh examine every single thing that they do in their life with uh pseudoscientific terms uh yeah and it makes every it makes all of this stuff seem meaningless and right and and you're you're unable to take certain people seriously be, because of because of these things so yeah no i i certainly don't don't agree with it in the sense that there are people with real harmful philosophies uh in Mm -hmm. in the world it's it's just an interesting thought that like no for sure to to, to think of it it is a thought exercise to think of like how could the the net the filter of things Mm. by which i take things in like a scientific theory like how can this how can this help me understand the infinite things that I encounter every day? It's like, for sure, for sure. It's the it's the way that you could take any event and it will, um, depending on how you look at the world, it will uh make sense in your uh interpretation of things. You know, uh, right. The for 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 us on the left, like we can understand like oh the decline of violent crime is due to less lead in the water and people having access to abortions and chill and fewer children growing up in uh poverty mm-hmm. and you know like we we can understand that and that that makes sense to us that statistic of crime going down makes sense in our framework and then if you are you know someone who believes that we are getting more violent you have uh lots of media that overexposes and and makes us hyper aware of these things all of the time that we should be aware of you know yeah yeah Um, yeah, for sure but you know and and is is doing us a service by keeping us informed but is perhaps over representing violence as a component of human behavior um yeah it's but but again that that's that that's our perspective uh you know possibly more legitimate but uh that but that is our perspective because we have a way to explain that away whereas if your philosophy just is we're getting more violent our society is breaking down you have plenty of evidence around you and available to you that would confirm that for you Mm. even if that is not the correct um answer that is not the correct conclusion to draw if you have that philosophy you will find evidence for it because it is how you are filtering in that information that is your theory of the world but then it's like yeah i guess that is true i mean it's because it's like it's interesting to think about in that way but then i feel like as well it's almost like i don't know because i feel like in a lot of the modern philosophies we found now people Mm -hmm. use almost like blind faith and in many cases mm. like actual blind faith to yeah. believe and self um self confirm like these ideas yeah. about things yeah. happening right because it's like it's sort of like any 
insane name one right any insane conspiracy theory you have to follow a crazy set of rules or logic that if you if you critically think about any of it it usually falls apart but in order to confirm it you have to be pulling from things that also confirm it so it becomes that echo chamber like they talk about how there's all these echo chambers online like in facebook and stuff of all this information cycling but you know without without necessarily going down that rabbit hole either i think that it's one of these things where the universe is incredibly complicated or complex, depending how you want to look at it. Something that I don't know if we're fully meant to understand and what does the mm-hmm. arrogance of trying to understand it imply. And mm-hmm. that there is, it's sort of why I can get down with some absurdist philosophy, you know, where it is just mm-hmm. like everything is insane and crazy and existential. So there's a little bit that just says, you know, to just kind of go with it or mm-hmm. to just sort of. I mean, I guess an absurdist, it gets a little darker than that, but there, I, I don't know. Like, I guess it's just, it, there's, there's so much to take in that it would overpower the human brain, I feel like, at this point, that mm-hmm. we're not necessarily, without sounding arrogant or attacking us as a species, I do think we are not fully at that moment to, to take in all of this information. I think there's a lot of mm. phenomena we just don't understand because we just can't mm-hmm. understand it and we have to explain it in as many rational ways we can even though there isn't a rational lens to do it necessarily. So we, I think that's when you have this Zizek kind of philosophy come in like you're saying or any mm-hmm. of these other ways of creating theories. So it's almost like what do you do with the information of all of these things are possible and yet we still have to live our daily lives. It's like what do you do? Yeah, well, you know, how it, do you how is, do you handle it? It is it is the thing ultimately because does quantum mechanics affect the fact that I have to go to work in the morning? Right, that's the point. Exactly. You know, it's, I mean it, it it is it is ultimately like that kind of thing and I think that's why philosophy has found this new foothold in physics and we right. may see that continue um like like almost like a reintroduction of philosophy to the sciences which i think could be really great actually because yeah. i and i do because i do think that's important and i think it is because it's, it's it's in the sense like you're saying it's like well okay yeah you don't need quantum physics to know that you need to go to work tomorrow but also we can start looking past the work to see well what's actually important you know What's actually necessary without without the weird abandonment of like I need to work to survive and like that sort uh-huh. of grounding of how unfortunately our systems are in place. But I think right. there is something in I think there is something in recognizing the profoundness of life mm-hmm. and how you mm-hmm. want to go forward with that without yeah. falling into the trappings of grand narrative and without mm-hmm. falling into the hopelessness that is that like existential dread. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's sort of the philosophy I've been coming at for recently, and especially during this. I think this point of view, you know, with this with this topic we're discussing. But I, I don't know. Like, I guess it's like finding that sort of balance. You know. Hmm. Yeah. No. That that was actually uh, that's actually very well said. I think that oh, is. Thank you. I, I I think that is the thing that we all want is some kind of of balance and maybe that is how uh maybe that is how we try to try to rectify mm. the the feeling of not nothing feeling like it is imbalanced right um, right yeah well on as uh as we return to balance as we uh mm. leave the room of the infinite and walk back into the ucm gift shop uh <laughs> where we can 
um, you know, return to our world of uh, money yeah. and deadlines and right. fluorescent lighting. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what what do you have going on on the earthly plane, Joe? <laughs> well, um, I guess in the in the more recent things happening, an exhibition that I'm a part of with um, a collective teleportal is happening September 9th at Real Tinsel Gallery. It's titled Teleportal Presents Movement. There's going to be an opening, I believe, um, September 9th, and that's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So if you're in that area, you know, feel free to check that out. And it also got extended to October 21st. So it's going to be there for a while. Um, and I, th- I believe at this point, this is the last week to see my uh, exhibition at the St. K Arts Hotel. So if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. And um, that, cause that's wrapping up very, very soon. So thank you all who who went. And also I have music available on basically every streaming service and on Bandcamp. It's in my album Biomes. You know, if you want to listen to some chill music, want to zone out, want to go sit in a field and put on headphones, feel free to listen to it. Um, but that's pretty much the main things I got on my earthly plane at the moment, working on some new projects, mm-hmm. some new collaborative works I'm excited about. And um, But yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, uh, the focus at the moment. How about you, Zan? What do you got going on? Um, I also have some collaborative things that I'm trying to work on at the moment. Can't imagine with who. Um, I don't have uh, anything else really to announce at the moment other than, you know, I've got my work as usual on zanpeters.com. Uh, got uh, back into painting. So, you know, you can check my uh, Instagram uh, if uh, you'd like to see what I'm working on there. And uh, yeah, just uh, just plugging along, almost done with the summer and uh, ready to start teaching in the fall, which nice. is very exciting. Nice. Um, very, very exciting. Yes. Uh, if you'd like to uh, contact the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. We'd love to hear if you actually know something about physics uh, or any of these uh, philosophies and uh, would like to add to that. We'd love to hear from you. If you have anything uh, you'd uh, like to recommend us, we also uh, love hearing mm. from uh, you all as yeah. well. Uh, we are coming up on a pretty big uh, milestone for the Uncanny County Museum pretty soon. Uh, and we'll also have some pretty big announcements uh, coming with yes. that as well. So thank you all for sticking with us for so long. And uh, we've, we're have we going to arrive at a very cool place, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes. So uh, you can find me at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And you can find me at at Art on Instagram. Please uh, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. We really appreciate it. Yes, From the yes, Uncanny yes. County Museum, I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. And I have become Death Destroyer. Bye. Bye.